You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God as you see to open your Bible at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you come to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. Come down to verse 4. He has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verse 9 There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered God's rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Family, we've come a long way in discussing the concept of Sabbath. I say concept because We understand that when God created in the Garden of Eden, when he had created the Garden of Eden and he put all the various parts of creation into place, as Hebrews refers to it here, on the seventh day he rested. There were no churches, no synagogues, no religion, no written laws. There was nothing about any form of religion action. It was a concept that God introduced to Adam. And then we track through the Bible various people that live by this concept of trusting God, that he is the one that provides, that he's put creation into place to serve mankind. But what through sin and through how the enemy worked through the curse, we landed up serving stuff, chasing after things, trying to make things work for us, trying to get and sweat and toil and then something's not working, you've got to work harder. And even if you work harder, maybe you've got to work twice and do double jobs and three jobs. And, and it's all the stress and toil. But you realize that God never intended for us to live that way. And when he sent Jesus, Jesus came to restore all those things back so that we can live in the kingdom of God by faith. The just shall live by faith. And then we see through the word of God, as we tracked it, we saw how God had introduced various principles through the concept of the law. You understand that under the old covenant, you're dealing with people who are not born again, and so they have no spiritual insight, yet God wanted to bless them until such time as Jesus would come, pay the price to remove the sin so that we can once again be born again into the Spirit of God and have insight to the kingdom to understand why God does things a certain way. So you are then driven by desire from his word rather than the muzzle of the law. And we saw that the law was introduced so that God could take these people, even though they were not saved, they're not in the position that we are today, where we are driven by the love of God. They didn't have that within them. And so he kept them in constrained by the law to make sure that they were still positioned for the blessing to work in their lives. And so we saw how God introduced various principles in that law, and one of them was the Sabbath. Now, the result of any law, anything that God does in the Word of God, you understand how the enemy works. Either he will want you to turn totally away from God, which is the first place, because then you don't get the Word of God at all. 
and then he's able to rule and reign in those people's lives. Alternatively, someone decides they're going to serve God, well, he's got to keep them away from the power of God. And the way to do that is keep them out of faith, keep them out of the word. And one of the easiest ways to do that is get people locked into religious actions, religious rituals, religious laws. And that's where Jesus said, your traditions made my word null and void. So you understand Jesus was coming to remove the religious veil so that the power of the word can come through. And that's what he was demonstrating while he was on the earth. And he himself read from the book of Isaiah when he got up. You see in Luke chapter 4, how Jesus read, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And we had a look at that, and we saw that that year of the Lord is the year of jubilee. And if you can put it that way, if you can give it another title, it's the Sabbath of Sabbaths. Because he used to work with seven days. You know, you work six days, and then on the seventh day, you rested. And then God projected that into the years. You work the field for six years. The seventh year, the field rests. Then he took seven of those. And then on that seventh time, obviously the seventh year, year 49, you rested. But then you went into Jubilee, and in that year, rest again. So there you're now having another Sabbath, but in that year of Jubilee, all debt was canceled, all slaves were set free, a total reset, great recovery. And yet Jesus, when he comes and he says, today it's fulfilled in your hearing, he says, now that I'm here, it is jubilee as a permanent place. In other words, whatever you desire from God's word, he takes time out of the equation. See, faith is always now. You're getting this. So in other words, God gives a promise, and it may take a process of time, but God is able to bring that time into the now by faith. So you don't have to wait for another 49 years before you get to Jubilee. You need Jubilee today, by faith you can call it. The point is that the actual calendar, the time, has been removed from the equation. So we start having a look because obviously there's still the law and people say, but what's the purpose of the law? We saw in Galatians chapter 3 verse 19, the purpose of the law. What purpose does it serve? It was added because of sin. Come down to verse 21. Is the law against the promises of God? Certainly not. So the law wasn't coming against what God was doing. It's reinforcing what God wants to do. It's, it's revealing principles. In other words, you have legal laws but the legal laws are there to ensure that the principles, like for example, we've used the example where uh, the speed limit's 120 kilometers an hour. That's not just some random number someone thought up and we don't like people rushing around. No, the reason is it's for the safety of people. There's, there's natural laws that if you hit something uh, much faster than that or you have a head on whatever, it's still dangerous at that speed if you're not cautious. But there's other laws. Stay on this side of the road. You know, if you see the sign slow down, you know, you've got all these laws working towards what's the purpose? The end purpose is not just to control people, it's to keep you safe. So even if there were no signs, you should still want to do that to stay safe. You're getting the reason what I'm saying here. 
So the same way when God establishes laws, it wasn't just because of control reasons. It was to lead us to the principles that enable us to live successful lives. And so he says in verse 23, before faith came, we were kept under God by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, our teacher, our coach to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. So family of God, the principles don't fall away. When a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer or you think of any profession that you go to university for, you, and when you're studying at university, you're confined by what the professor's teaching at that time. You do things in a certain way because that's the way you do it and you kept, you, you, you're taught to do it that way. But once you graduate, that doesn't fall away. You still use those same principles as you advance. But now you move into your profession. Now I'm saying that because the purpose of the law was to guide us to Christ. Now that you discover Christ and you're born again, the laws don't fall away. But the laws are no longer there to keep you righteous. You are made the righteousness of God. But you should still not jump off a 50-story building. Are you with me? So, yes, you should still tithe. Yes, you should still worship God. Yes, you should love God. Yes, you should still not covet your neighbor's goods. Yes, are you with me? But now it's done from a, a heart of love, not of constraint of the law. Say amen if you get that. So we saw in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus had been walking through the fields with his disciples and they went ahead and they ate some grain on the Sabbath day. And of course, the religious leaders of the day called Jesus out on that and said, hang on, the law says you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath and your disciples are working. And then he explained how even David, when he was hungry, the only food that was available was the food in the temple, which by law he was not allowed to eat. But the fact that he needed food was more important, and God was okay with that. Same way we saw how the priest had to work on the Sabbath when everybody else was resting. He worked. Why? Because they were all coming to meet. And so someone had to do the work. But even though the law said no work on the Sabbath, the priest was sanctified because he was doing the work of God. The point being is that Jesus eventually gets to the point where he gets down to verse number 8. He says, well, let's first read, read verse 5. Have you not read in the law that the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Who is that? Jesus. And if you had made known that this means I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so we saw Jesus revealing something that the Sabbath really was there. He is still Lord of the Sabbath. He decides when it's Sabbath or not. He decides if you need to do something on Sabbath or not. He decides when your Sabbath is. And you see uh, down in Mark chapter 2, verse 27 from the New Living Translation, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over 
the Sabbath. There's still people that feel very guilty about going to church on a Sunday. They feel that you can only go to church on a Saturday because that's the Sabbath day. And then you get the other side where Christians then say, well, if we have to do the Sabbath, well, Sunday is our new Sabbath. And, and both of those are inaccurate because nowhere does it require worship on a Sabbath. God, if you read in the, under the Ten Commandments, the establishment of the Sabbath was for rest, and it still quotes, as God rested on the seventh day. So it was in remembrance of the concept of after working, setting up in place. So there's still work. Sabbath isn't laziness. It's not, well, I don't have to work. Now, some people say, well, I'm not working. I'm just trusting God. No, the Bible says you don't provide for your house. You're worse than an infidel. There's still you have to put the work into place. You still have to go plow the field. You still have to sow the seed. You have to do, but you're doing it not from the point of toil, you're saying, God, I know you've built the system to provide for me. So I'm going to do what I need to do, but then trust you. So for seven days we'll gather manna, but on the seventh day you want us to rest, we rest, and still there's enough provision. So the point being is that, they, yes, they did have holy convocations. They gathered together on the Sabbath. But the purpose of the Sabbath was to give you the concept of not just resting because you're tired, there is a, there's a physical principle. We should take time to rest, otherwise you will burn out. And that's we learn from that. Remember, it's our tutor that teaches us to take a day to just do relax and remember the Lord. But we worship God every day. And so the principle of the Sabbath is to understand that there's a deeper principle to it, and that's not about us serving the seventh day. It's saying, I want to remember the principle is when I get to a place when I've done all I know to do, I'm not going to stress anymore. I'm not worrying anymore. So I still do what I need to do, but by faith, now I'm resting. And that's what I want to talk about. How do we enter into that rest? Because if you don't understand this, then it lands up, we're serving the Sabbath. So you've got to come on a day to worship. No, we worship God every day. Are you with me? So yes, if you feel really serious, you want to worship God on a Saturday, do it. But make sure it's by faith, not because if you don't, you've sinned. Do you understand the difference? So yes, worship on a Saturday. There's nothing stopping somebody. But also coming to church on a Sunday is not a sin either. <laughs> Any more than going to church on a Tuesday. When we have come celebrate, we have church every day. Isn't that right? It's not just like we have church on Sunday and then conference on Tuesday. No, it's still church. <laughs> so we're worshiping God. We're bringing offerings. We're singing. We're praying. Are you with me? And you can do that every day wherever you are. And so rest, that Sabbath rest, same way Jubilee can be at any moment. If you need debt freedom today, you can call it today. Today is your Jubilee. And I announced to someone, today is your Jubilee. You need to take that as a prophetic word and say, I agree with it. And so the same way, if you need to rest on a Tuesday, that's your Sabbath. Because now today, I'm trusting God completely. Amen. And so Jesus said, he is Lord even over the Sabbath. And so we saw that uh, if you come back to Hebrews chapter 4, remember we said in verse 1, therefore, 
let, uh, since the promise remains, well, therefore means there's something it's there for. So what's therefore, therefore? So let's go back. Go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Now I encourage you, in the context of what we've been studying, go read the whole of Hebrews. It's a powerful, it's our great faith book where you see the concept of faith introduced and how Jesus oversees that faith. You see all the faith heroes of the old covenant. And so we're just going to have a look. How did he get to this promise of the rest? What was he talking about? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same. In other words, he came into a body the same way we live in a body. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Subject to, what bondage is that? The bounds of the law. In other words, the law keeps us in bondage, and every time someone broke it, they would feel guilty until they got that animal into the temple for sacrifice. So you lived constantly under the threat of, of guilt. In other words, if you sinned, we've got to take an animal today to the temple. Now, if you die on the way there, you can die and land up going to hell. You didn't get your animal killed in time. So you're living constantly in this fear, this bondage, this fear of death. And if you look at anything, any, anything whatsoever, any sin, any fear, you name it. That's why I don't like people that say, you know, you hear people say, embrace your fears. No, I don't have fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. You know, we, we, we even rename it to make it more, more acceptable, like claustrophobia. The word phobia means fear of. Fear of. No, I have no fear whatsoever. Amen. And if somebody's afraid of confined spaces, that's what claustrophobia is. You fear of being gripped in. Why is that fear there? Now, I'm not saying go lock yourself in a cupboard until you eventually get used to being in there. But you need to confront the root of that thing. It's a spirit of fear that needs to be dealt with. Get it out of your life in the name of Jesus. Because the thing is that sometimes the enemy can corner us when we're not ready for it. And that fear can overtake us and land up destroying us. Because any fear, any fear, any fear whatsoever, including whether you're going to get a job tomorrow or not, whether you're going to get paid tomorrow or not, whether you, you're gonna, that person's going to walk out your life, whatever. You track it. You take it. You can... Go through the, the domino effect, but at the root of it is a fear of death. Everything that we're ever afraid of, the root is the fear of death. And so we've got to learn to overcome that. We have to learn to resist it. Say, no, I will not allow that. So Jesus came to destroy that root of death. Satan's trying to convince you to die on every turn. We have to make a decision. No. Jesus now lives within me. I, he has conquered death itself. I'm not even afraid of this body turning off because I'm going to step out. I will never die again. You cannot kill a man who's alive in Christ. You can end his body, but he steps out and keeps living for eternity. See, there's no more fear in death. No more fear. 
Amen. So we're not afraid to die. Say amen. We're not afraid to leave this earth. Let me rephrase that. It's not dying. It's leaving the earth. That's why we shouldn't grieve when people pass on. Oh, we're going to miss them. That, that's sad. But, you know, when, when, when your cousin moved to, to, to Australia, you didn't spend days mourning and weeping and crying. They're just in another city. Isn't that right? So anyone we love that leaves the earth, they just move to another city. They're in another city. Streets of gold, loving God, in His presence, doing what we want to do. Look Him in the face. Worshipping Him every day. Amen. And so, yes, there is a time we, we, we miss them. Same way if they were in Canada, we'd miss them. But, you know, we can always phone them. But yeah, we just, we, we ask God to forward a message to them. Amen. Maybe you don't hear their voice anymore, but we will see them again. We'll get to move there. Amen. And so that'll just take some time. But in the meantime, we, yeah, we carry out what God's called us to do. But the point is, we are not afraid of death. Jesus set us free. Say this, Jesus conquered Satan and the fear of death. And he released me from bondage. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Therefore, yeah, we keep going with therefore. Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So now we see Jesus' ministry. When he was in the beginning, he is the word. Then his next part of his ministry, that word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Then his next ministry was to become the lamb. We took on sin, died and rose from the dead. And then he was ordained with the name of God and seated at the right hand of the Father. Now he is the apostle, the sent one, the high priest. And his function today, his role today is to oversee your confession. Jesus is waiting for what you say. And he says he'll personally, we have an appointed priest to make sure that when you speak in his name, that that word will come to pass. Verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. Remember, we're getting therefore to the therefore where they could not enter rest because of disobedience. So he's saying, yeah, don't harden your heart where your fathers tested me and tried me, and they saw my works 40 years. Family, 40 years of miracles every day, and they still didn't rest and saying, God's got us. In other words, God looked after them today. They had no lack. There was manna. There were birds, water coming out of a rock, and they still went to bed wondering, I wonder if I'll eat tomorrow. 
we have for the last 40 years. <laughs> When do we say, God, I have seen enough to know. I've tasted and seen the Lord is good. Verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Family, unbelief is evil. That's what the word calls it. Look at verse 14. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in, his, in the rebellion. Look at verse 18. To whom he did swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey, we see they could not enter in Because of unbelief, therefore, since a promise remains. So what's he doing? He's setting it up, showing I was working with them all the time. All I wanted was for them to believe. No matter what I did, they constantly hardened their heart. Where's God? Why hasn't God? He brought us here to die. Said, Why Family of God, we have to make sure we don't land up in that situation. We love God. We trust God. We sing to God. We amen in services. Everything's wonderful. And then something goes wrong. Where's God now? That's exactly what happened in the wilderness. Just be cautious of that. You don't want to be in That place. Don't make the same mistake. Verse 3, we who have believed do enter that rest. And yeah, he shows in the seventh day, even God rested. So God didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest out of religious obligation. He didn't rest out of worship. He rested because his creation was at work. He set it up and then rested. In verse 9, there remains a rest for the people of God. He who has entered his rest, now here's how you practice the Sabbath. You cease from your works as God did from his. What's the Sabbath of the new covenant? Ceasing from your toil, from your works, as God did from his. And then immediately goes into verse 12, because the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Verse 14, seeing that we have a great high priest, he's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. How do you rest in the things of God? When God has given a promise, you speak that promise, and you believe, Jesus has got this. If he fed me yesterday, he's going to feed me today. If he healed me yesterday, he's going to heal me today. If he protected me yesterday, he's going to protect me today. That's the only thing you're ever going to get out of my lips. Yeah, but what about your bank account? My God supplies all my need according to his riches in glory. Yeah, but what's that pain in your body? By his stripes, I have been healed. What am I doing? Holding my confession. I'm 
resting. I'm not stressing. I'm not looking in the doctor's letter. I don't understand how this works. I don't know. I do. I don't know. Why is this happening? No. That's what happened in the wilderness. You say, you look at that letter and say, that may be the report of my body. But God's word says, I'm healed. And I'm choosing to believe his word. You see, when you enter that rest, that word is designed to root out everything that's causing the affliction, to root out everything that's hindering your process, everything that's getting in the way. God's word is designed to clear that. But you've got to rest to let the word do the work. And by keeping the word on your lips and by resting in that word, that word can now go to work and Jesus will personally oversee it. Hallelujah. Say that when I choose to believe God's word and I speak his word, that word goes to work. And while that word's at work, I'm resting and God is ordering everything to bring that word to pass in Jesus' name. You believe that? Shout amen. And so verse 12, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, listen to this, he sat down at the right hand of God. What's he doing? He's entering his Sabbath. Jesus is now in permanent Sabbath. He's finished. He said on the cross, it's finished. What's more for Jesus to do? Nothing. Why? His word's at work. And he'll oversee that word of your confession. And from that time, he waits till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Hallelujah. Say this, I am forever sanctified. Thank you, Jesus. I'm free. Amen. Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Now, you know, sometimes people will say, yeah, but what about this? And you're supposed to keep the Sabbath, and why don't you? And Jesus says something interesting. Yeah, well, Paul's writing, but under the inspiration of the word, Jesus. Romans 14, verse 4, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. What's that mean? Family, have you ever heard me criticize another preacher from this platform? That's my scripture. I won't. Even if I don't agree with their doctrine, they are not my servant. All I know to do is teach you the truth. You decide who's teaching the truth or not. What do you think about this preacher? I don't. But they're saying this. I've got these scriptures. This is what the word says to me. Are you with me? But shouldn't you stop them? You can't stop anybody doing anything. You, you, you can criticize and call names. People are still going to do what people do. Isn't that right? Even when the disciples were busy preaching, the Jews at the time were trying to stop them. And Gamaliel said something interesting. He said, listen, uh, if, if this is not God, it'll fade away. If it is God, then we're going to be stopping God. What if, what if this is God and then we stop it? See, I don't judge that because I don't, God told us to do this. And it's like, what? I would never do that. But if God told you, 
knock yourself out. You know, go for it. But you have to stand before Jesus and, and, and explain that. Not me. I'm not your judge. I said, I'm not your judge. Yeah, but people should know the truth. Exactly. That's what I teach you every day. Just listen to the word and you can discern. Say amen. See, it's not my place to call out Jesus. He knows how to look after his servants. He's looking after me. Amen. Verse 5 goes on. It says, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, if someone's adamant Sabbath is a Saturday and you have to keep the Saturday because it's the law and it's the one law under the Ten Commandments and it hasn't passed away, then do it. If that's your conviction, do it. But don't call out someone who's decided that Jesus, by leading, as I've taught you from the Word. Now, you decide whether the Scripture says what the Scripture says. But the Word is clear. Jesus said, I am your Jubilee. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. You see him doing things on the Sabbath, proving the concept of the Sabbath. So he says, one person says one day is more important than the other. Another person says every day is the same. But be convinced in your own mind. In other words, if you want a Sabbath on a Saturday, go for it. It's good. Amen. But if I'm going to have Sabbath on a Tuesday, it's also good. And if God has a problem with that, he'll tell me. Come on, say amen. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So notice, even the law of circumcision, where the flesh had to be cut with a physical knife, Circumcision hasn't passed away, but now it's of the heart. Can you see that? So it's not like the law was done away with. There's a new covenant, a better covenant. And he says, in that circumcision of Christ, you buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, now listen to this, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. What's he saying? The law had certain requirements. And if you didn't keep those requirements, you were not considered holy or righteous. You had to work your way to prove yourself to God. But now the Bible tells us that even the handwriting, whatever was held against you by the law has been wiped away. It's been taken out of the way, nailed to the cross. So now God's not looking at you keeping the law, whether you're righteous or not. He looks at your heart and he sees you as righteous. You've been made the righteousness of God. You have eternal life simply because you believe in Jesus. He fulfilled the law on your behalf. Praise God. Now, as righteous children of God, 
We now desire to live righteously. We don't want to slip back into sin. And that righteousness is now, we are taught by the tutor, where the law will show us. If I don't know how the kingdom works, the Holy Spirit will lead me and guide me, but there's certain principles that I think I know until the tutor reveals it to me. I go, okay, now I see that's the way we should be going. So you understand how the law, what its purpose is. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival. Let no one judge you in a new moon. Let no one judge you in Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, the substance is of Christ. There's your scripture. The word confirms itself with two or three witnesses. Say this, the Sabbath under the old covenant was the shadow. I don't want to worship a shadow. Christ is the substance. He is my true Sabbath. You see that. And he says, don't let anyone judge you otherwise. Notice he puts in there Sabbaths, plural. So it's not even just talking about the Saturday Sabbath. Why? Because there's the seventh-year Sabbath, there's the Jubilee Sabbath, there's different types of Sabbaths. But the point is, Christ has fulfilled all of that. Say, Christ has fulfilled all, has fulfilled all, and he is now my Sabbath. Look at the verse 17 from the NIV. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The reality. Read it from the New Living Translation. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies. Don't let anyone condemn you for not keeping Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. Christ himself is that reality. Hallelujah. Family, I trust that has answered your questions. Has it? Has the word spoken? Amen. So we've come a long way. Because we wanted to make sure that we were clear about what we mean. Because I'm going to be referring to it often from now on in what I teach. Because anything that we learn from the Word of God, we can sometimes hear it and think, now I must go and make it work. I've got to do something. I've got to... And when it doesn't look like it's working, what haven't I done? Is there something I still need to do? But there is a place where you realize you've worked for your six days. Now's the time to rest. And a day is a thousand years with God, a thousand years is a day. There's no time with him. So he may say, this afternoon I want you to do something, but at four o'clock I want you in the prayer closet. Yeah, but I still got to visit. I got to No, I need you right now to rest. Watch what happens in the next 24 hours. And you're going to have that leading, you have that unction, and now you know what it's about. Amen. And you're not going to allow anybody else to put you under condemnation because you didn't take a break on Saturday. 
you have the word of God on the issue. Amen. And why do we gather on a Sunday? Well, the disciples got together on the first day of the week. Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. It's the day most people aren't working. It's the day most of us have time to come and look at the place. It's full. It's packed out. I don't think Tuesday morning would have worked this well. But praise God. It's a time to gather so we can come and sit to return to God what is His, to honor and worship Him, and to sit under an atmosphere of faith to charge us that when we enter the week, every single day, we're resting in the word we've heard. And we worship Him and honor Him. We keep Him first and foremost in our thinking every single day. We live a life of faith. Come on, give Jesus praise. Amen. Let's stand together. Raise your hand to the Lord and say, Today I've heard the word of God. That word brought faith to my heart. And I am a believer, not a doubter. And as a hearer of the word, I'm also a doer. And I make a decision today. I'm resting. I have entered that rest. I have God's word on the issue. And whatever promise he has given me, I choose to believe him. I do not question him. I don't worry. I'm not concerned. I know he's got it. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. If God is for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me prospers. His word was sent to accomplish his purpose. And it will do what he pleases. And my faith in that word pleases God. And I thank God that as he has spoken and I have believed and I confess Jesus as the high priest of my confession oversees his very own word. That leaves me with one option to rest. I enter my Sabbath. I enter the rest of his word. And thank God, his word is yes and amen. Hallelujah.